Welcome to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope this podcast encourages you, challenges you, and furthers your relationship with God in a whole new way. Enjoy this week's message. Good morning. <laughs> that was a grand entrance, wasn't it? <laughs> How's everybody doing? Great. Well, um, it's always a joy to be together. Wonderful job, worship team, leading us to the Lord in worship and praise into the throne room. Amen. <clears throat> Obviously, we are navigating our way through some difficult times right now, and I know that you're all very aware of that, and I appreciate how everyone is pulling together. I appreciate Pastor Lewis keeping our fervor prayer going on Thursday nights. If you have not been a part of that, I encourage you to think about coming on Thursdays at Seven, seven, okay, very good. And also our men meet for prayer on Wednesday mornings. Um, life groups are happening at least for two more weeks, and then we have a summer break, but we're, we're uh, hoping that people kind of stay hanging out during the summer. And we have a couple of classes lined up for this summer as well. So a lot of things are still happening, even though we are kind of trying to work our way through some grief and through some issues right now, of course. I trust that you're continuing to pray for Pastor Gwenmar. Sometimes we get past the initial tragedy and we kind of forget. So don't forget. <laughs> so keep praying for Pastor Gwenmar and Pastor Yolanda. They're in Connecticut right now. Um, they had another service on Thursday. I wasn't sure how that was going to work. I mean, they had I mean, to go through that twice, but they wanted to obviously do a memorial in Connecticut because most of Tayshawn's family was there. And, of course, many, many friends from when he was growing up. So they had a service there on Thursday. I've not talked to Pastor Gwenmar since the service. Um, I just thought, they're in Connecticut. I'm going to leave them alone. But um, I, I trust that they're doing well and that you're still praying for them. So today is Communion Sunday, and we're going to actually do communion a little differently today. Typically, we serve it during the service, and we just kind of pass out the elements, and we all share it together. But today I wanted us to come together at the end of service. In fact, I'm going to ask you to join me at the front. We're all going to gather around the front together and hopefully we'll have this sense of being family and a body of Christ joining together. And we're going to, that's how we're going to finish the service today with our communion. I'm going to be speaking out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 if you want to follow along in your Bibles. <laughs> or on your phones, however you do that. Um, I still am not used to that, um, but that's okay. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to actually read quite a bit. I know that's always a little dangerous because it's easy to kind of lose track. It's like, oh my gosh, when are we going to be done with this passage? But I hope that you will stay focused, and I'm going to read beginning at verse 17 all the way to the end of the chapter. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which was a great church, but a problemed church. And he says this, now in giving these instructions, and these instructions are going to be about communion. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. And just for the record, verse 19, I have no idea what it means. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. 
Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And that's an important little point, after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to continue all the way to the end. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another." If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. The rest I will set in order when I come. So you're probably wondering, why in the world are you preaching on that passage today? And I've actually been asking myself that same question. (laughs) It's like, because I don't know of any divisions at our church, and I don't know of any rich people abusing the poor people because I don't think we have any rich people in our church, right? So, so I don't know that that's possible. So I was thinking, okay, why am I preaching on this passage? And I've really been asking, but I will say that I felt immediately drawn to this a couple of weeks ago when I knew I would be speaking today. And so I just have to trust the Lord. And I've been asking him up until this morning, okay, God, why is it I'm speaking on this passage? And I, I really do believe that there is a reason, and we'll talk about that as we come to the close of the, the message. But let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's always so powerful and so rich. We, we really could just read the word, and I think we could go home at times because we've heard from you. And I feel like that today, that you have spoken to us even as we've been reading from the scriptures. But I pray that you would help me, Lord, to unpack the things you want me to say. Help me not say anything you don't want me to say. Help us hear what you want us to hear. And help us be changed and affected by the word of God and by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first of all, I think that when we get into this, we'll we'll probably have this feeling like we, we have a lot of rudeness going on. And that will probably be the, that would probably be the extent of how we would feel about this particular passage. But it's actually much deeper and much more profound than that. And for Paul, it strikes at the very heart of the gospel. And we'll hopefully be able to unpack that as we go along. And so <clears throat> I just want to kind of go through the passage and unfold it a little bit, talk about how I think it applies to us today, 
and then come together and have communion together. But first of all, I think it's important to understand the setting. So the setting was, in the early church, they, when they had communion, it wasn't this teeny tiny little wafer and this teeny tiny little sip of juice that you think, I wish I had more, right? It's like, that was just enough to get me started. It wasn't like that at all. They had communion in the context of a meal. And they, in fact, Jesus instituted the Last Supper at a what? Supper, right? He instituted the Last Supper at a supper. They were having the Passover meal together. And he would, as typical, and I'm, I'm not schooled in Jewish culture. I don't know that much about Judaism, but, but I have read a little bit. And basically, if I understand correctly, that the, the head of the household would begin the meal by blessing the bread. And then, they, then they, would, they would bless the bread, then they would have a meal, and then he would end by blessing the cup. So that's how I understand that it unfolded as they partook of that meal together. And so Jesus, however, reinterpreted the bread, and he said, this bread is actually my body that I'm giving for you. And he reinterpreted the cup and said, this cup is actually my blood that I'm pouring out for you for the remission of your sins and the new covenant that I'm making with you. And so Jesus had established what we call communion. I prefer to call it the Lord's table. You could call it the Last Supper, whatever you want to call it, the Eucharist. He instituted that in the context of a meal. It was a meal that they shared together. And that, that continued throughout many, many years for the early church. They would have, they would share a meal together, they would have, and then in the context of that meal, they would share the Lord's table together, the bread and the cup. And in the early days of the church, there was a tremendous unity and equality that began to develop. When you read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, the very first record of the church after the, after the day of Pentecost and how that was just, filled with excitement and filled with enthusiasm and filled with, with tremendous fellowship. And it says they would break bread from house to house. And I used to always wonder, okay, when it says break bread there, what is, is it referring to communion or is it referring to eating together? And then I decided the answer was what? Yes, yes right. The answer is yes. Yeah, they were, they were eating together. And in the context of eating together, they shared meals together. And there was tremendous equality. Those who had gave to those who had not. So we have this whole picture in Acts 2 unfolding where those who had extra property or extra houses or extra money would bring it in and, and go donate it to the church so that those who did not have would have plenty. And so you had this wonderful, you had this wonderful environment of equality and fellowship and intimacy. And then that continued to expand. I mean, next thing you know, you have Philip down preaching in Samaria. Well, that was unheard of. That was unheard of for a Jewish person to go to Samaria and begin preaching the gospel. But many, many people got saved in Samaria. Peter and John validated what was happening by coming down, laying hands on them, then being baptized in the Spirit. And lo and behold, the next thing you know, you have Peter going to a Gentile's house. And Gentiles were included in the, in the family of God. And so you have this, the early years of the church was an amazing picture of equality and of fellowship and of, a, of an intimate fellowship, I think we could say. It was very, very intimate 
the love of God was so manifest among them that, that the, the heathen began to be drawn to that. They were drawn to the fact of how deeply they loved one another, how they cared for each other. There's a letter that was written by an official in Greece to, the, to one of the ruling, I don't know if it was to Caesar or to who it was to, but he was complaining about the Christians because they were disrupting all of their system because they were taking care of the poor and they were feeding the widows. It's like, what am I going to do with these guys? I mean, that's a pretty good uh, accusation to be getting it leveled at you, right? And so, that's, but that was a picture of the early church. But, but now we fast forward to Corinth and now we have a problem. Now we have these guys with behavior that's very unchristian. And what was happening was that when they would gather together for their meetings, and remember, I think it's important for us to remember, they didn't have a church building or they didn't have a gymnasium um, to, to meet in. They, they met where? In houses. And so they would gather in these houses and they would gather with meals and they would eat together and they would bless the bread and they would, they would remember Christ in blessing the bread. At the end of the meal, they'd bless the cup. They'd remember Christ and blessing the cup. But in between, they had this meal together. Well, what was happening in Corinth was that many of the people, and, and it is important to remember that Paul said earlier in Corinthians that not many of you guys were very smart. Not many of you were nobility. Not many of you were high class. Most of you were relatively poor. And, and, you know, and so many of them were poor. In fact, I think it's important, I hit pause, I hope you know that. In fact, it's important to, to know this little fact, that in the Roman Empire, 30% of the population were slaves. 30% was slaves. So in this congregation, you know, just count every third person, and that person would be a slave. Make sure you jump yourself, right? So you don't want to be a slave. But I mean, every third person was a slave. And so it's clear that probably there were people in the Corinthian church who were slaves. So you had poor people, you had slaves, and then you had rich people who also were getting saved. So now hit pause again, and now we start back. So what was happening in the Corinthian church was when they would gather for their meal, not like it was in the early days, where those who had brought for those who had not, those who had would bring a meal. And then they would bless the bread, and those who had would eat their food. Those who had not would sit with nothing to eat. And then at the end, they would bless the cup, and those who had not, they would get to partake of that. But that would be it. And Paul was indignant about that. Now, we probably think, man, that's just so rude. That's so inconsiderate. But for Paul, it was much deeper than that. It was cutting at the very heart of the gospel because what Jesus came to do, part of what he came to do was to break down the divisions that existed in humanity. He, he, yeah, praise the Lord. That's good. He wanted to break down the division between the rich and the poor, even the slave and the, and the free. He wanted to break that that division down. And that's kind of an interesting thing that I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail, but, but you think, why didn't the church just come out and say slavery is wrong? Well, 30% of the Roman Empire were slaves. It would have been disrupting the entire system, but they did attack it from the heart. And in fact, it, they did undo it gradually 
from the heart, from the inside out. That's what the whole letter of Philemon's about. He sends Onesimus back and it says, treat him like a brother. So he did, they, did a, they did attack slavery, but they did it, I think, wisely. They did it from the heart, in the, from the inside out. But God wanted to have equality between the slave and the free. He wanted to have equality between men and women. He wanted to have equality between Jews and Gentiles. In our culture, we say between black and white. He wanted to have equality between the races. And, and these guys were violating that. It, it, the communion isn't a meal, it's the meal. It's the meal that celebrates what Jesus did. It's the meal that celebrates what, how he had broken down the barriers. And yet in the context of the meal and what they were supposed to be celebrating, they were actually doing the exact opposite. And they were creating division in the church based on how much you had and how much you didn't have. And they're creating division that way. And Paul was furious about that. He says, I praise you not. I mean, that's just the way of saying, well, you know what he's saying. <laughs> that won't work. He was, he was angry. He was, he was indignant. Because they were, they were not only in their abuse of each other, what they were in essence doing was abusing Christ. Because we are his body. We are his body. It's interesting in this passage, and I meant to emphasize it when I read it and I forgot to do it, but five different times the verb for come together is used. Five different times he uses the verb for come together. So we're coming together. There's something about a table that brings fellowship. There's something about a sitting around a table eating together is an, is an intimate event. There's something about it that brings a sense of equality. There's something about it that, that brings a, a sense of depth to our relationships. When we sit down and eat together, we had a, a meal here not too long ago. I think, well, actually it's been quite a while ago before we began small groups the last time around. And it was such a wonderful time, just sitting and eating together. There's something that's rich about a table, something rich about sharing meals together. In fact, I think we should share more meals together, but, but there, there's something rich about that. And yet here, instead of coming together, they were actually dividing. The very event that was supposed to be bringing them together was actually causing divisions. And so that, that, that was a huge problem. And then Paul appeals to the foundation for it all when he goes back and says, I receive from Christ. So oftentimes we'll read just that section of Scripture when we're having communion, and that's okay. I think it's okay to do that, but I think we need to take it in the context of everything that's written. And what he's saying is, Jesus, gave, he said, this is my body broken for you. Well, I usually take that, and I think rightly so. I, mean, I think I can, I can validly do it, but I, I usually take that as meaning he was broken so that I could be whole. Jesus bore brokenness so for, for my brokenness. So in his brokenness, I have wholeness. And I, I think that is an appropriate, appropriate interpretation, but that's not really what he's saying. 
What he's really saying is, you guys, in the context of your division, Jesus was broken so that you could be brought together. That's actually what he's really saying. I think we can apply it personally, and I think we can do that validly, but, but that's not really what he's saying. What he's really saying is, he's broken so that you guys, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, rich, poor, slave, free, can all be made one. That's what he's actually saying there. That he was broken for your wholeness, for your unity, for your fellowship, for the intimacy that he wants to provide between you guys. That's why he was broken. And his blood was poured out, not for I gave this blood, I gave my good blood for the rich, I gave my bad blood for the poor. No. He just had one blood. And it was poured out equally for every single person, no matter their status, no matter their race, no matter their gender. He, it was poured out equally for every single person. That's, that's what he's saying here in this context. Jesus was saying, I gave my body for you to be whole, to be complete. Yes, I think we can say, I think, and I will continue to take that personally, that I have wholeness because of Christ. But I also understand that's not really what he was saying. He was really saying that we together are whole as a body. We come together. Five different times he says that, come together. So we want to come together. And then, then, he, then he goes into this <clears throat> next section, <clears throat> excuse me, which is, I think, often misinterpreted and misapplied and often to the detriment of many people. Excuse me, I need to get a drink. <clears throat> Excuse me for that. And that's verses 27 down through 32, where he talks about those who eat and drink in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let, him, let a man examine himself. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. Okay, let me just ask this question. <clears throat> what makes us worthy? If you go to church, if you go to church, okay, now I'm worthy. What makes me worthy to stand here with the broken body of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out? What makes me worthy to take that? Is it because I, I read my Bible this week? No. Is it because I prayed 15 minutes a day this week? Is it because I didn't do bad things? Or is it because I did do good things? No. What can make us worthy? Nothing can make you. What makes us worthy is to stand there and realize that I am unworthy. And only by the blood and body of Christ am I made worthy. By my faith in his grace, by my faith in what he's done. That's what makes me worthy. However, that's really not even what he's talking about. And I think that is important for us to know that. And I say that, let me just forget that. Let me just go back to this for just a moment. <clears throat> I've known people throughout my pastoral life who will not take communion. They're afraid to take communion. They're afraid that they're going to take it unworthily. Well, that's really not even what he's actually saying, but, but, but why would we think that? The very fact that you're unworthy is, is nothing new, but it's the fact that Christ has made you worthy. It's your faith in him that makes you worthy. 
In fact, anybody who thinks they're worthy is unworthy, right? If you think you're worthy, that's, that's clear proof you're not worthy. But what he's really talking about here is this whole idea of division in the body. He says you're not discerning the Lord's body. Well, what is the body? When for, in, in the previous chapter, in verse 17, he says that we, the church, are one bread. We are one bread. The bread is the body. The body is the bread. What, what is the Lord's body? The next chapter, chapter 12, remember we have to read the scripture in context. And the very next chapter deals, it begins dealing with spiritual gifts, but then it talks about the body of Christ. And it says, one member, one member can't say, well, I'm not really fit, I'm not really important, I'm not a part of the body. Another member can't say, I don't really need you, I'm superior, I don't need you. No, part, no member is unworthy, no member is superior. We are all needed. Every single one of us is needed. Every single one of us matters. Every single one of us is important. That there's no member of the body that we think, well, that, that member is dispensable. And we don't, we, don't, we don't need that. And so he says, no. So this, that, that is written in that context. Not discerning the Lord's body. And quite frankly, the word the Lord's is actually not even in the original Greek. If you have an English Standard Version or a New American Standard Bible, you will have it, you won't even have the Lord. Just say, not discerning the body. So what is that? Why am I saying that? Because what he's saying here is what is bringing judgment is because you're coming together without recognizing the body of Christ. You're coming together with divisions. You're coming together not recognizing that Jesus came to break down the barriers and has made us whole has made us one body. You see that? That is what's bringing judgment. That is what's causing some to be sick and weakly and even die. And that, I don't really know what to do with that, except it just says what it says, right? <clears throat> so what is Paul saying here? He's saying, you, you guys have basically, here's what had basically happened. They had reverted to societal norms. They had reverted to the point that the rich and the poor don't integrate. The slave and the free don't mingle. I think we could go on to say the Jew and the Gentile don't fellowship. The black and the white don't come together. The men and the women are dis they're different. We, we revert to societal norms rather than to the new order that Jesus has established. He established a society, a body, a fellowship, a church that breaks societal norms, that breaks down those barriers, that brings us into a wholeness and a unity. Amen? That's what Jesus did. And that's why Paul was so, so, um, I don't know what the right word, he was angry. You are violating the very purpose of Christ's coming by the division that you have. 
And so that brings me to why in the world am I preaching this? <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know of any division in our church. There might be some that I just don't know about. I don't know. Um, like I said, I don't think we have any rich people here, so we don't have any rich people abusing the poor people. Um, so why, why am I even preaching this? Well, I mean, I have asked the Lord constantly, God, okay, what is it you really want to get across with this particular message? And you may, you may already have some thoughts yourself. I don't know. But basically what I feel like is the Lord wants to help us to, to proactively, I don't think it's corrective, I don't feel like I've preached this message in a corrective way. I don't feel that at all. I think we have wonderful unity in our church. I think we have equality in our church. I think we have um, good fellowship in our church. But I think it's proactively to help us to become better, to help us become more aware of the fact that we are a body. The church, universal, is an amazing bride of Christ. We are, we are knit together with believers in China, in India, in Thailand, in Nigeria. We're one with them. And the, and the Bible talks about that, the church universal, the big C church. But when you read about the church in the New Testament, most of the time it refers to the local church because that's where life happens. I saw life happening. My wife and I both were just so blessed at how, how the church responded to Pastor Gwynmore and Pastor Yolanda and how you were taking the meals and reaching out to them. And then we had the meal after the funeral that was so rich. And I was going to name the ladies that helped with that, and I decided I better not. I'm going to forget somebody. But thank you to all of you ladies who helped serve that meal. It was amazing. And we left there thinking, not that we haven't been a body before, but I left there thinking, this is, this is the richest, deepest expression of a body that I have seen at Calvary Life. I, it just was such a blessing. And I, and I believe that the Lord's wanting us to see that, to recognize that we, we are family. We are a part of one another. We are a body we are to be knit together. I don't think this is a corrective message. It's just a message of instruction. It's a proactive message to help us think, okay, God, thank you for what we have, but help us have it even more. Help us have it even deeper. Amen? And I believe that's what the Lord is saying to us. I, you know, I, I know that, I mean, my wife and I, we both, I mean, I work two jobs plus what I do at the church. She works a lot of hours. We get home. Guess what? We don't really want to go anywhere. <laughs> and we don't really want to have anybody at our house either. <laughs> we just want to, in fact, she walks in the door and she puts on her pajamas. I shouldn't tell that, but, but it's usual. We're, we're, <laughs> we're done for the day. <laughs> That's it. We're done. And, uh, but, you know, and I understand that. I get that that you're busy and you work hard, and I understand all that. But, but, but we are a family, and we need to have time together. In fact, when I, when I was a pastor, um, we did a, <clears throat> I guess I'm still a pastor, but when I pastored a church, we did a, a, a health analysis of our church based on, it's, a, it's an organization, and they, they, they gauge eight, what they say are eight qualities of a healthy church. 
And I was so shocked that we scored low in, in healthy, um, loving relationships because I thought we were a very loving church, and we were a loving church. I mean, there, you know, there was wonderful friends, and we had wonderful fellowship, and, and when you came in the church, I mean, there was just a wonderful sense of being together, and I mean, people didn't leave for an hour after church. I would think, well, are they ever going to go home? So because they were just standing around visiting and sharing. But, but, here, but, what, but what that was gauged on was how much time the members of the church spent together outside of a church setting. So how much time do we spend together when we're not here on Sunday morning? And life groups don't count either because that's a church setting, right? So you go to a life group, okay, that's good, but that doesn't count. You go to fervor prayer, okay, that's good, but that doesn't count, right? When, when are you just, when are you just meet someone for a cup of coffee? When do you have lunch together? When do you have somebody to your home to eat? When do you go to somebody's home to eat? I, I really, I think that's the zenith of fellowship, is when you actually are in homes together. And, and, and that doesn't seem to happen much anymore. I mean, it, has, it happens. Pastor Lewis had us over. The parishes have had us over. John, John and, and, and Stacy had us over. Yeah, that, but that doesn't happen that much anymore. And if I left anybody out, I'm sorry. <laughs> have you had us over? <laughs> if you have, forgive me for not mentioning you. So, but, but I don't think, I think, but that's what it's talking about, that we, that we take it to a new level. It's great to be happy and together when we're here, but how much are we happy and together outside of being here? And I think that's where we go to a deeper level. And so you go back to Acts 2, they were together every single day, eating and fellowshipping and praying and worshiping. But it was, they, were, they were together on an ongoing basis. Obviously, that was a different time and different culture. I don't even want to be with you every single day, but that's okay. <laughs> well, actually, I probably do, but I just ruined this whole message. <laughs> yeah, tell the truth. But, but you, you get my point. But, but, but we, we need to just step it up is my point, Right? Y'all get what I'm saying? I believe that's why God wanted me to share this message. Was a proactive, okay, we need to do more. We need to be better. We need to grow deeper. Thank God for what we have, but we want more. Amen? Amen? Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. If what you heard today impacted you, be sure to tell us about it. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast or contact us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or our website, calvarylifedfw.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.